my name is Tyler Kofoltz, and welcome back to the 16th Sunday after Pentecost for the week of September 20th, 2020, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig into this week's podcast, and I'm excited that when you are listening to this, I will be getting into my wedding week, as I talked about last week. This is pre-recorded. I'm ahead of where we actually are in life, and you know, it's this time of anticipation, right? I'm in this moment of trying to figure out what is all going on and getting all the final details going. And then we're going to set off in this great new adventure. But that means change. That means letting go of things. That means modifying how I am living to be able to accommodate another person living with me. And when we think about this, and we've talked about this type of thing before, change is always difficult. Whether it's the changing of seasons or the changing of how we're living our life or changing careers or changing even new grades. I remember as a kid, even going into middle school or junior high, being scared, being uncomfortable and worrying about what was I leaving behind? What was I going to suddenly experience? And it's one of these things that we really struggle with. We struggle with change. We struggle with this idea of constantly changing things. And sometimes that's the nudge that we're needing, the nudge of moving forward into something new that challenges us to take steps forward in order for us to grow. And this ties in beautifully with last week's Twitter question, which was, where do you need to let go of something so that you can grow? So often we want to hold on to these different things, hold on to what we're comfortable with, and it robs us of the potential of actually growing into something. And I know for myself, there's times where there are things that I'm preventing myself to grow in by that I don't want to make the change. I don't want to make that step forward. I don't want to realize my mistakes. I don't think it's a super unnatural human reaction. I think it's something that we all experience together, that we are uncomfortable with doing that. And so when we're called to, like we talked about last week, forgive, when we're called to make a change, when we're called to love and let go of these things, these preconceived notions, can be difficult, can be really hard, but it's something that we need to continue to strive to work in because that's what we're called to do as Christians. So let's jump into this because this will tie a little bit loosely into what we're getting into this week. So let's just jump into it. The first reading this week is from Jonah chapter 3 verse 10 through chapter 4 verse 11. This is coming right at the end of Jonah, so you have to almost remember the whole story. Jonah gets called to go to Nineveh. He then gets on a ship and is trying to go to Tarshish, which is clear the other way. A storm rises up. Their ship is trying to do everything it can to deal with this. And Jonah says, throw me overboard, things will get better. He gets three days in the big fish, gets spit up. He ends up going to Nineveh. He then is told about that, tell the people of Nineveh, this great nation that has conquered many people of Israel, that if they don't turn from their ways in 40 days, they will repent. And as you can believe, Jonah is not really feeling this. It's probably one of the worst sermons ever. And yet Nineveh changes things around. 
And this is where we pick this story up. And we kind of get this interesting perspective right away coming at the beginning here. We see coming from chapter 4, verse 1, when Jonah is talking with God and saying, wasn't this what I was talking to you about, which is new knowledge to us in this story, that you were going to change your mind anyways. And now he's really angry. Why did I do this? Because I know that you're a God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and really don't like punishing people. So I'd rather die. So Jonah goes to sit in this area and God has a bush grow up. Jonah is really pleased with this bush. It's giving him comfort. The next day, God has a worm that eats back the bush and now it's scorching and Jonah complains some more about this. And God has this really interesting interaction here and it's one of the only books that I know of that ends with a question. So starting in verse 10, Then the Lord said, You are concerned about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came in the night and perished in the night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who did not know their right hand from their left and so many animals? And that's where we end this. We ends on a question waiting for Jonah's response. Really interesting story. Really interesting about how God's still providing even at times when we're complaining. The alternative first reading is from Exodus chapter 16, verses 2 through 15. So as we've been continuing on this grind here of Exodus and going through what's all been going on, people now have done the Exodus. They have gotten away from Egypt and they are walking around and now are complaining about being hungry and how quick they forget. If you remember from the end of last week's scripture reading, they were so pleased and trusting in God. And now we get these people who are questioning God, sounding very human-like, And saying, God brought us out into the wilderness just to die. So the Lord then comes to Moses and starts telling him, okay, this is what I'm going to do. At night, we're going to have quail fall from the sky. Make sure that people only take what they're needing because otherwise it's going to rot. And in the morning, they'll find this new substance, which they call manna, which gets translated to what is it? This fine unleavened bread. And so then it's Moses going through with his brother Aaron, telling the Israelites what this is and having this happen. And then seeing the first morning here where we have the manna out and people questioning what it is. And we get this cool line right here at the end. It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. And there's also one part in the middle of this where after talking, we have the Lord kind of show in a cloud that he is there, that he is present after talking to the people of Israel. So this idea, again, how God continues to provide even when we're moaning and complaining about something. The psalm this week is Psalm 145, verses 1 through 8. This is definitely a song of praise. This is totally going through this and just... The psalmist recognizing how amazing God is and that the more I meditate on it, the more I'm realizing how wonderful these things are. And my life goal is just to declare these praises. And again, we get here in verse 8, the line that we've been hearing so much recently. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. 
So this idea of how God continues to provide even when we are begrudging it. The second reading is from Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 30. And now we're getting into a short series here in Philippians. So we're still in this introductory part of this letter from Paul. And going into when we are living in the way that Christ is wanting us to live and and living in the spirit that Christ gave us, there is a joy, there is this energy that comes from it and that we're realizing what we're doing and how it continues to move us toward what Christ is wanting us to do, that we are moving toward that goal as we are providing these fundamental pieces, as we are working toward that, as we are moving in what Christ is moving us toward and that we become more like what Christ is wanting us to be, even though our own flesh at times wants something else. The gospel text this week is out of Matthew chapter 20 verses 1 through 16. This is such a great parable and in so many ways it's also really difficult. So we have this landowner who goes out early in the morning and hires laborers to help his vineyard. And again at 9 o'clock, he goes and finds some more. He continues this at noon and at 3 o'clock. And at 5 o'clock, an hour before the end of the day, he goes and finds these people and saying, why are you still standing here? And they say, well, no one hired us. So he hires them to go into the vineyard for the last hour of the day. And so when he calls the people to come and get paid, he starts with the people who were hired at 5 o'clock. And they received a full daily wage. And as they get closer to the ones who were hired first, they were assuming they were going to get a raise. And they don't. They then kind of question this landowner of, why are you doing this? And his comment is, is, well, didn't we agree upon a daily wage? And why are you essentially bewildering me that I wanted to be generous to these other people and that you are now envious of what happened? And we get this line that we've heard so many times. So the last will be first and the first will be last coming from verse 16. So before we jump into how faith and science come together in this text, we have to do our shameless plug. Oh, Working Preacher. If you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it. Between their Sermon Brainwaves podcast, their commentaries, their discussions. And one of the things that I really appreciate about Working Preacher, especially as I'm working ahead, is the archive that they have. So, for instance, right now, I'm able to look back, because they don't have their Working Preacher podcast for 2020 out, I can go back to the last cycle, which is 2017, and listen to what they had to say on these same texts. Because they have such an archive, and not only of their Working Preacher podcast, of multiple different seminary professors in that, but also the commentaries from so many different people and the discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to help bring you this podcast. So if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it. It's really useful when you're doing something like I'm doing right now. This text, to me, in a lot of ways, I think it can be very difficult right now. In a lot of ways, because of where our country is at and that we maybe aren't seeing very well the people that are unemployed or underemployed based on how the world is, we'll put it that way, and how we're in an election year. And so there's so many things that can possibly get swayed one way or the other. And I really don't want to get into politics with this. But money can be really difficult. Money is something that I know, even when, especially when I started this podcast, was something that was 
kind of in the back of my head as I was unemployed and started this venture and working with how I was going to make ends meet, but at least I could do this. I don't know if I've really ever talked about this on the microphone here. When I started this podcast was after I had been fired from a job, watched my now fiance, and by the time you're listening to this, it would be wedding week for us, was graduating from college and going back to where she grew up. And now I was unemployed, and I didn't feel like I had that much going for me at that time. And in a lot of ways, this podcast for me was a huge help because it gave me something to be doing, where something that I could feel productive. So in a lot of ways, when I'm looking at this text, I can relate to those five o'clock workers. When I look back at that point in my life, that just any little thing to give me some boost of confidence. And when I was building this podcast and starting this venture, It was the comments of multiple people saying that there was some type of value of what they were getting out of it. And even though it wasn't financial cash at that moment, it made it feel like I was at least walking in the right direction. It was something that in a lot of ways, it had been something that this podcast had been working in my head for six months, even before I got fired. And it was something that I said that I was going to push to the side because I didn't have time for it. Very much similar to what Jonah was talking about. And trust me, like the Israelites, there's been plenty of times with this where I've had doubts. But when I look at what's happened, it's been an absolute blessing. Unfortunately, in how the scientific world works, this isn't an uncommon reality. And I'll attach some videos kind of going through this, but a lot of science is grant-based or that you have to be hired by some type of institution to give you some type of maybe a salary for at least some period of time with the expectation that part of your work will be here's so much to help get you started in research and that you're going to find other funding sources to be able to try research and if you have a breakthrough that there's maybe in the contract what percentage gets split between you and whatever institution you're working for or maybe you're working for a federal or state agency. And I watched it when I've worked in those agencies and how often in a ways, I won't say that we're manipulating, but how often different studies were being done in ways to try to help us be able to get cash to continue doing research. And there's other ways of where you can get private funding from foundations and organizations, but at times that can get difficult too. Because if you're having a study done by an organization that's wanting some type of result, does it slant the research unintentionally or intentionally? It's one of the things that can be really difficult. And funding is always something that is in the back of the mind of the scientist as we're trying to do and understand something at a deeper level. How do you convince a typical person to donate money to something that may or may not exist or may or may not come back as a result that we were wanting? It's that some type of governing force saying, yeah, this is worth investing in and maybe we figure something out. Maybe we find something. It's hard. It's in a lot of ways, it's really quite crazy because in a lot of ways, you have to be dependent on others, be it that you have to be dependent on being a good grant writer, but then also dependent on who's ever reading that grant to give you a chance to get you to maybe a final round to get funding. There's a lot of faith in 
If that doesn't work, where am I turning to next? Do I have enough saved up? A lot of the other scientists that I've met along my life's journey and how many figure out some type of side hustle along with their work. And in a lot of ways that you have to almost carve out your niche and have to become so good at what you're doing that you are the person that they need to come to or one of the top people that you need to come to to do this type of work. And sometimes it's that there's work that people want done, but you can't find the people to do it. That's a whole nother issue, and I've seen that in science too, where the money is literally set aside, but it's finding the right trained, qualified people to be able to do it is a whole nother story. And it's weird when you're in science like this because, again, when you're getting funding from grants, you'll have some people that salary is included in the grant. And then there's other grants that how they're written up or how the scientist chooses to do it because they have some other type of financial backing that the whole thing is then going to the research. It's a hard life. It's very similar in a lot of ways to the laborers who are sitting there and and hoping that someone is generous to them, gives them a chance, gives them an opportunity to show what they can do. But in that same breath, when that opportunity comes, it's really hard for us to be able to be in a spot where we complain after the work is done, complain that, well, I worked longer than this other person. And here we are getting that God isn't comparing us that way. And a lot of times I've looked at this type of passage and I've thought about it as faith. There's some of us who come to the faith early on in life and some who come in right before the stroke of midnight. But we're all looked at the same. Sometimes when we're looking at like the Jonah text here on how we are called to do something difficult. We are called that we need to figure out how we're going to fund our research we have to suddenly figure out how to become a good grant writer. I'm not going to say that in my undergrad work that we talked about grant writing and how to support yourself in the scientific field. That wasn't exactly a class that I took, but that's part of the survival. And so there's going to be times when you're arguing with God or arguing with why does it have to be this way? Why can't I just have something that's easier? The Israelites in the alternative first reading in Exodus, I bet, are thinking the exact same thing. Why does it have to be this way? Why do we have to wander around the desert with these couple of leaders and we're trying to follow God and yeah, he delivered us from the Egyptians, but now we're walking around the desert. Like, what are we doing? But it's when we do it, when we go through the process of actually acknowledging and understanding what God is doing in our lives and we do what God is calling us to do, that we start getting this joy, this life of what God is doing doing in us. And then we stir and we're able to proclaim the gospel in different ways. We're able to see Christ working in us and say that it's not me, but it's Christ in me. And that you're giving praise to God for what all he is doing, all the abundance and ways that he continues to provide in these tough times. When I think about this in a lot of ways to science, and then when you think about it, even just in general of life, it's not easy. One of the reasons that now I'm working in the church and still have this deep passion for science was when I was in the scientific group. To me, it wasn't even the funding that I was running into because of where I was at at that time. It was what other sacrifices was I going to have to make. 
For me, one of the big ones was when I was working with coworkers and realizing how many of them were either divorced and or single and how I wanted to raise a family at some point. And is there scientific fields where I can do that and still have a family? Yes. But when I wanted to be a fieldwork biologist, I realized that there would possibly be a very high sacrifice, not only that I would have to take on, but my future spouse would have to take on and our future kids would have to take on, that at this point in my life, I had to walk away from that to pursue another way of life. And I'm happy with where I've ended up, but there's always weird things. Just like with any business structure, there were a lot of hard decisions that had to come from that. When I look at this text and look at people calling out these laborers and calling out a landowner for being generous, wanting to make sure for a day that these people were taken care of, provided for, that for one day they didn't have to think about it. And it was a surprise at the end of the day. That's a lot like science, where you secure the funding, you do the research, and maybe you have a huge breakthrough. And maybe the breakthrough leads to you being in more demand. It leads to maybe some type of royalty or something where you get some recognition where there is a little bit of some type of continued general income. Maybe it's that that study wasn't exactly what your passion was about, but it allowed you then to have this type of income so that, and the prestige maybe that comes with it to pursue something more of where your passions lie. Or maybe it helps you discover abilities that you didn't know you had, like Jonah kind of figures out. It's amazing how when you think about this, how there are people and places that are willing to do that and support in times when people really need that. One of the the links I'll attach down below is this thing called the Pledge, which takes some of the richest people on the face of the planet who've agreed that they're donating a significant part of their income upon dying to whatever causes that they want and that they've agreed that in a certain, at least a certain amount. And I'll attach links down below. And there's a lot of names that we recognize and a lot of names that we at times will ridicule. But one of the things that will always stick with me, I got the privilege of listening to Bill Gates speak when I was in college. And Bill Gates talked about how often he had so many people coming to him for money for this or that or the other thing. And he talked about how often he had to be wise with his money to pick the right projects that for him in his mind were going to impact the global community the most. This landowner decided to be generous to these people. And we don't know really the whole story of what's going on here. But I can bet that those people that did work that last hour were really thankful because for one day at least, they were taken care of. There was the support that they needed to be able to continue to do the work. And maybe that allowed them to move forward into some other avenue that they never could have imagined before. We don't understand what these little impacts can have on people. So the Twitter question I'm going to ask you this week is where can you be more generous? And the reason that I ask that is there are so many times that there are subtle little things that we can do to be generous that make a huge impact. One that I've been thinking about a lot, especially in this time of separation from people, is making sure that I go through and say thank yous and appreciation to people. Ones that are long overdue. Does it cost me anything? No. But it takes my time 
in a way that's more generous than any paycheck could ever be. I think about my parents, there's no way I can ever pay them back for raising me for 18 plus years of being on this planet. There's no way. But I can try showing tokens of appreciation. I think one of the questions to ponder with this text as we are thinking about this is what inspired this landowner to do this? What inspired the grateful heart of the landowner? We see how God continues to provide for those even complaining. God still provided for the laborers. God still provided for Jonah. God still provided for the people of Israel. God still provided for the Israelites. And yet when we do this, when we listen and we go out on that limb and we go and do what God calls us to do, he gives us such a grateful heart. I think there's a part of that that's helping us understand that we were designed to be grateful. Just like it's difficult to be a scientist, a lot of it is because you're trying to better understand the world around us and you want to share it with others. In a lot of ways, scientists are a civil servant because a lot of them don't get paid a lot of money. Some of them do, not all of them. But a lot of it is that they genuinely care about other people or other things and want to help other people understand it, to learn more about it, to care about it, to take care of something. And so often, those are the ones that we often overlook. So that's why being generous matters. And in science, and in our everyday life, because without it, we really struggle to be the people who God calls us to be. So, we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.